0: This week's episode of Astonishing Legends is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, Policy Genius, Blue Apron, and our contributors at patreon.com.
1: Almost 1,200 years ago, sometime around the year 827, Sorbian Prince Slavibor was born in the city of Melnik, which is located in the central Bohemian area of the Czech Republic. Prince Slavibor was a man of the people, known for taking good care of them. He burnt wooded areas to make way for fertile ground that could be farmed, and founded several new villages to ensure that his subjects would prosper. He's probably most famously known in history for being the father of Saint Ludmila, who was strangled to death by henchmen sent at the behest of her daughter-in-law 1,096 years ago, almost to the day this episode of Astonishing Legends is being posted. Prince Slavibor also had a son named Hosek, Slavibor was so fond of him that he had a wooden fortress known as Castle Hoska built in his honor on a prominent prism-shaped piece of limestone 16 miles northeast of Melnik, where the family lived. This is 41 miles northeast of modern-day Prague. This piece of land was rumored to have been cursed, possibly since at least the time of the Celts. There's no way to know if Slavibor was aware of this, At the time, Slavic religion was pagan in nature. Maybe Prince Slavibor thought he could tame the curse through some pagan rituals. It's hard to know. Prince Slavibor's son, Hosek, would never move into Hoska Castle, however, because no sooner had people begun taking up residence there when just outside the perimeter of the castle, the limestone it was built upon cracked open, revealing a deep chasm of darkness. From what became known to locals as a gateway to hell, evil spirits emerged, wreaking havoc on all living things. Legend states that there were half-human chimeras, part man, part animal, that could fly. Men in the area were struck down and afflicted with crippling conditions. Livestock were killed and crops in the area wilted away. The new residents of Castle Hoska fled for their lives, leaving the sad monument to a good prince's son abandoned for what may have been over 400 years as it fell into disrepair slowly rotting away sometime between the years 1280 and 1290 a bohemian knight and duke of the extremely wealthy Dubé clan Heinek berka with the permission of the iron and golden king premisil Ottokar ii decided to build a new stone castle on the site There are written records of the Duke's ownership, dated to the year 1316. Berke had no doubt heard that the locals had tried desperately to fill the pit with stone. But no matter how much they dropped into it, there was no effect. It simply thirsted for more. The Duke, however, was determined to find out what lay inside this gateway to hell. So he made a bargain with some imprisoned men from his village who had been sentenced to death. They were told that if they would agree to be lowered on a rope into the hole and report back what was there upon emerging, that they would be pardoned. Many signed up for this macabre task, but no one survived the mission for more than a few days. All who were lowered into the pit suffered the same fate as the first man who had reluctantly agreed to go in exchange for his freedom. As he was lowered down into the darkness, trembling in terror, bystanders on the surface anxiously stood by, trying to conceal their fear of the unknown. A few minutes passed as the prisoner descended deeper and deeper into the bottomless pit, when suddenly, blood-curdling screams pierced the darkness of the hole. The men frantically brought the condemned prisoner back to the mouth of the pit, where the Duke anxiously awaited a description of what he had seen, but the wait was pointless. The man's hair had turned completely white and his face had aged several decades in the few short minutes he had been in the pit. The prisoner babbled for a moment about a horrible stench, total darkness and distant screams before losing his mind entirely. He died two days later of unknown causes. These same circumstances repeated themselves with all the prisoners the duke could convince to go down there. He must have thought that whatever that pit was, it had to be contained at all costs. So he had a -a one-of-a-kind fortress built over the chasm in the same area. Prince Slavibor built his first castle all those centuries ago. This new Castle Hoska was, for all intents and purposes, inside out. You see, most castles have defenses against enemies that would attack from the outside. But this castle was inverted. Its battlements focused inward, its layout constructed to trap something within, not defend from without. Heavy stone plates were placed over the pit itself, and a chapel was built above it. This chapel was adorned a few centuries later with frescoes that can be seen to this day, depicting a centaur-like creature with what appears to be a lion's body and a woman's torso. She is drawing a bow with her left hand and aiming it at a person's neck. The left-handed draw on the bow representing the hand of evil. There is also a fresco of what is thought to be Michael the Archangel lancing a demon on the ground. In the book of Revelation in the New Testament, Michael leads God's armies in their victory against Satan's forces. One has to wonder, is Castle Hosca a last defense for humanity at a gateway to hell? Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. The gates of hell
0: are open night and day, smooth the descent and easy is the way. John Dryden's translation of Virgil's Aeneid, Book 6, Line 126.
1: Join us tonight for part one of our in-depth series on Czechoslovakia's Castle Hoska and the gateway to hell beneath it. You may have noticed some slight changes in our show tonight.
0: Yes, everything is still here. We're just rearranging things a bit in an effort to
1: evolve ever so slightly. Some very light housekeeping tonight. One thing which you already know, I think, is that our new coffee mugs are flying off the shelves. Uh-oh, a poltergeist activity? Uh, no, you oh, okay. uh, They're selling like crazy. So if you want to get one, head over to astonishinglegends.com and click on the store link to check them out. Or you can head over to our Patreon page where at certain reward levels, you get credits for swag anyway. Yeah, well, and lastly, we're making a
0: slight, Schedule adjustment Since we launched We've had a few Different drop days For the show If you've been Following us You'll know that Initially, we were following the new music Tuesday philosophy, and then we went to Saturdays, and then back to Fridays. And I, I think I don't know, I can't keep track
1: of this. Uh, but we're making another change. Yes, but it's not a major one. We we found that sometimes we get backed into a corner with an episode, and we need a slight cushion to get it out because life happens. Uh, some shows take more research than we thought, like this one. Mm. And other times, members of our post production team might be unavailable for personal reasons, or God forbid, one of us might even get sick or something. <laughs> so we're padding out our release days to a more generic quote, by the end of the weekend unquote. <laughs>
0: unquote. Uh, we're still going to aim for Fridays, but our promise is that you'll have it before you go back to work or school or wherever you go on Monday morning. So don't freak out if you don't see the show dropping into your smartphone on Friday night. It will be there before the weekend is out.
1: You should be out having fun anyway.
0: <laughs> what, what, what is this fun you speak of? Yeah, I, can't remember. I, well, I can't remember myself what that's like. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I gotta tell you uh, I love that opening and it sums up a lot of what is frightening about Castle Huska. 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 Well, I, I, that's the... Yeah, but I, our so. friend Travis, who <laughs> lived actually, in Prague... Yes, he actually speaks the language. He said it's Hoska. I know. So it's Castle yeah. Huska. Yes. Uh, but still, it really only scratches the surface of this legendary domicile.
1: Well, fortunately for us, speaking of Travis, we were able to reach out to the local Astonishing Legends Bureau in Prague, where our good friends, Travis Dow and Pete Coleman, have extensive connections and experience. Yeah, when did we get an office in Prague? Travis and Pete... <laughs> have a show called the Bohemican Podcast over at podcastnic.com. And they were all too happy to go investigate Castle Hoska. For them, it was just a quick road trip a couple miles away. And we'll be having at least one of those guys on the show next week because they've actually been to the castle. And in fact, you can find their episode on it on iTunes right now. Yeah,
0: well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, And thanks for doing the screaming Czech prisoner in the opening, Travis. Uh, Excellent performance. Visit podcastnick.com for Bohemican and other great shows. That's podcastnick, spelled N-I-K,
1: Com. You know, when you first suggested this, I mean, you brought it to my attention. I know it, <laughs> we came, it came from a listener, right? Yes. Originally.
0: Well, uh, yeah, actually, uh, we had a listener, Edward A. Uh-huh. I don't want to say his last name. He didn't yeah. give us permission, but yeah. he emailed us way back on August 31st of 2016, which should give you some idea of
1: how long <laughs> it takes us did.
0: to get I, to I, our emails. Yeah. No, we, re- <laughs> well, we read them at the time, and, it's yeah. like, and then we make a note of them. It's just like when it, when it comes up again, it's like hey, uh, it's time to do maybe a haunted place yeah. story. And of course, yes. We go through stuff. We actually do go back and look at what's been sent yeah, to us. Yeah, we have our own list. We've heard of stuff. That's what he was asking about. You, you guys have obviously heard this. Why don't you do an episode on that? And we've had listeners, great listeners recently, I think from Ireland, who've suggested like, uh, do Haunted Castle Lep right. in Ireland. And so there's a lot of great uh, places,
1: but this, this, this was on a, our list. This yeah. is the thing though about this, with all due respect You Edward, thought it was going to be thin. I thought it was going to be thin. With <laughs> you, all due respect to edward and you because yeah. you seem to be into it as well i was like right Wait, it's what it's this thing in the middle of the woods whatever i had yeah. no idea it was going to be a cork in the bottle of hell <laughs> you know i yeah it is you, unbelievable right but you think
0: they're all and i do too you always think they're going to be thin and then it's like every story we do ladies it and gentlemen you, you start peeling away the layers yeah. of a haunted onion and you realize Man, this goes pretty deep. Wait, there's, the Haunted Onion. That's yeah. going to be my. That's a beach That's a, bar. Well, yeah, live, it goes, live bands every Thursday. It's a. It's a nice Irish uh, bar. Yes, <laughs> the Haunted Onion. With every box-ties. third round is on the house. Oh well, then you're paying for that. Yeah, uh, but the idea though is that you you don't think there's going to be much, and the opposite is also true. You think that there's going to be a great story, and then. You start looking at it, and you realize that, well, these leads don't really go anywhere. It's a bunch of hearsay. Yeah. And there's certainly plenty of folklore and superstition, regional,
1: that goes along with this story as well, but there's also a lot of history. Well, yeah, and that's that's something that I love. I mean, the one thing that I learned from this, and I was talking to... Um, our, our friend Travis about it who we mentioned in the in the open here yes Travis J Dow yeah yep. I, one of the things that I learned was that I I want to go to Czechoslovakia oh like yeah because no, I mean, I, this place I, yeah. sounds amazing and yeah. just the history and I'll tell you something, folks about it. one thing about this story is we couldn't find very much on this place in English at all and like, that's the key thing that you just
0: said there is yeah. that uh, there is not a lot of history in that's uh that you can actually check out in English most of it's in Czech right and the other thing about it is that it's it's very well known there but there's not a lot of history written about it even there you know what i'm saying no, that's there's, right right there's uh, from the Czech republic there's uh, a few historians i think that have covered it we've tried to get some books uh that we could read and certainly we don't want to pester anybody by having them translate the entire thing yeah so we're waiting on still on one good source uh that's kind of a history of the whole area uh, but it hasn't come in yet. So we we did the best we could. We translated with Google, but that's a little sketchy. So well, yeah, it patches. You have to patch this stuff together.
1: Yeah, and 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 we were able to do that by corroborating. <laughs> Did I say it right? Yes, you okay. have. Don't, it's, no, man, I'm, I'm, you, I'm, ladies and gentlemen, you've given them a complex. I don't
0: think you realize. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm embarrassed. It's, I think Ugh. it's a Southern thing where I'm throwing away a syllable or something. So anyway. anyway you know what, just, just do But it. we have corroborated a yeah. lot of the details from multiple sources, right. that have uh, some that have been translated by Google for us from Czech to English, others that were published in English. We found one really amazing free Google book, which we'll have a link to, that talks about the history of, of the families involved in the castle itself, but it's particularly mythic in its presentation absolutely which is insanely entertaining right. i couldn't stop reading it i was like so into it and you i think you mentioned while we were developing this yeah. story you were talking about game of thrones this is the real thing this, this is the real this is deal. the real
0: deal yeah. like the, the example i was telling scott uh, with the with the history of uh, england you know with the, the knight of the long knives and or the long daggers uh this stuff is bloody, it's violent, it's cutthroat literally in a lot of cases and and people if you if you like that kind of thing and you watch Game of Thrones, well, that's fictional. This stuff really did happen now here's the problem though is that uh the History of, the, of the, the list of kings and rulers uh, and all the duchies and who re- ruled what in Bohemia. Really complicated.
1: It is incredible. And Travis will tell you that. It's, yeah. a, it's
0: There's people with the same names who, you know, because as a title, you take the same name as a, as a previous ruler who uh, was your uncle's grandfather.
1: It's just it's, just, it's yeah. crazy. And then so. to make that further complicated, the, the guy who was blah, blah, blah the first was a real jerk. And then the guy who was blah, <laughs> blah, blah the second, a yeah. saint. He's, He's a nice was guy. amazing. And that's the guy and that then, came. Canonize, if you say the wrong right. guy, you get, yeah, then you get into trouble. So exactly. But, but,
0: but in addition a lot to that, this is what I love also about this story is that there's some actual real history that you don't get to hear about a lot. And so we're going to bring some of that to the story tonight and tell you about it. Uh, but there's also a lot of, and, and, and people will say like, well, that's uncorroborated. But you know what? That's the the, the really cool, spooky lore and superstition part of it and the 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 regional uh history and the folklore which is what it is and that's where the 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 creepy juicy parts are you remember last time you were talking about discovering your roots and introduction to genealogy over the great courses plus
1: yeah i do Uh, professor coletta gave out 10 great tips for how to get started with your genealogy research by interviewing relatives Right. Well, I was watching lecture
0: number two in the series, Genealogy Online, Gems and Junk. And in this one, he gives out some great tips on how to go about your research online. But he also makes some great points which apply to any research online.
1: People tend to think everything is on the Internet and that most of it, if not all of it, is true, especially if they already want to believe it. Like Great Grandpa Joe said we're related to George Washington. (laughs) Right, But that's just not always the case. As Professor Coletta says, not all sources of information are equally reliable. It's not all online, and it's your responsibility to judge the accuracy of the information you find, both online and off. And he says that as long as you keep that in mind,
0: especially with genealogy— You are mentally armed to use the internet judiciously, which is good advice about looking anything up. Then he tells you what the best resource sites are to check out first, like the U.S. National Archives, the Library of Congress, and the 50 state archives. And there are a lot of other free resources on the web, too, like FamilySearch.org, as well as university
1: and historical societies who've uploaded their genealogy records. See, that's what I love about this series. Like a lot of subjects over at The Great Courses Plus, it's really a how-to course, teaching you the best practices and methodologies by the top 1% of professors and experts in the country, with unlimited access to thousands of videos made available for streaming or download. And
0: the range of subjects over there is mind-boggling. You can learn about ancient history, forensics, and true crime, which is a really popular podcast genre right now. Or you can even learn a new language.
1: It really is lifelong learning at its best. We think you'll get a kick out of just sampling courses on their site. And now you can do that for a whole month with unlimited access to all of their lectures for free. That's right. Start your free month today by
0: signing up with our special URL, which is thegreatcoursesplus.com
1: slash legends. Remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. This is Zach Bennett. Thank you for listening to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. I I think the first thing we should do before we get into the outline of the history of this area... Of the castle itself, and the crack, and the and the gates to hell, and all. Of which, by the way, we're leading you into our fall season. and We're going to be doing some more spooky stuff. It's
0: going to yeah. So start listening later and later. You start listening. Yeah,
1: we yeah. like to do that every Halloween. We like to dole out the the creepy. Ones. Oh, people like that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So 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 it's got some history, which is uh, hopefully not dry. It's fascinating, but also some really wacky, weird stuff. Well, that's, let's, uh, let's yeah. So let's about talk about
1: that. A, a couple of the things that have been seen. I mean, first we go back to what I what I'm mentioned in the opening about the story itself. And one of the most famous stories associated with Castle Holska is the story of the prisoner that is lowered down on the rope into the yeah. pit... And comes out, and, and he starts screaming, and they bring him up, and his hair's white, and his, he's aged 30, 40 years. 30, 40 years. He was and a younger
0: man. Yes. Uh, a, a prisoner that was sentenced to death, and as a, uh, as a kind of a pardon, it's like, you agree to get lowered down into that pit. Tell us what you see. We'll let you go. Yeah, you know, piece and of cake, uh, right? it's like, well, well I can what's do that. going to take? Yeah. 15 minutes? <laughs> so, uh, what they didn't expect, though, was this guy to totally bug out. And, yeah. and uh, he did not live long after that. He Actually, he, he went mad in Completely. every sense of the word yes. and then uh, was taken to a mental uh, hospital of, of the equivalent of the time and passed away two days later. Now, I had heard it was a heart attack, but basically, just he was so stressed out that it killed him.
1: Yeah, he died of fright.
0: He died of fright, exactly.
1: So that's – and that's the interesting thing about that. And then – so that, that's part of what was happening back then. The other thing that uh, that people were seeing was large black-winged uh, – no one has said demons, but essentially they sound like well, demons. Well, no, Circling I mean, yeah, in the courtyard. We're talking about
0: Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. The, uh, you know, but not so wispy spiritual – and black smoke, uh, that's, that's another story. What people were describing, the locals uh, flying over the open courtyard, because this building, uh, it's kind of a courtyard building. Like you may have an office building that has an open center. It's a square. As it's been described, it's a cube within a cube within a cube. Yes. And in the very center of it, there's an open courtyard, and people have seen black, leathery winged demon creatures flying around. Yes. Yes. Uh, flapping. What Scott thinks is that all-black uh, palm tree in Arizona. No, you Stop with the <laughs> tree? No, but that's exactly what that thing looks like. What people were describing. Thinks Doesn't what, fly, we,
1: though, does it? It just stands it's there a still like picture. a tree.
0: It's a still picture. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, but the point is that it's it's from day one of this crack in the ground opening up Bad things have been reported coming out of it, and people have been freaked out. So we're talking, you know, from the 800s, possibly even earlier, because there were Celt settlers. They have archaeological evidence that there was Celtic settlements there. Then possibly the Slavic peoples had moved in. So this is really pre-recorded history, and since that time to the present day— it's freaking people out.
1: Yeah, it's it's considered one of the most haunted castles in the Czech Republic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, there's a television show uh, here in America called Ghost Hunters. And international. Did, well, yeah. it was just Ghost Hunters originally, went, right. and then they went international, I yes. think. Yeah. And they took a trip to Castle Hoska for... Episode three, I think it was, of season two of their show. right?
0: Yes, exactly. As my friend, the producer, will say, it's assisted reality. She,
1: by the way, works in reality. Yes, reality. she, she yeah. does some of that assisting. <laughs> uh, and, and no, they they actually try and get what's there. But look, it's like a no. And, yeah, camp. and I don't. By the way, I don't want to cast aspersions on them. My my only issue with shows like that is not that they're intentionally. You know, because they're doing all these experiments. They got all this gear right, in there. Right. It's not that they're intentionally hoping to deceive you. It may be fully accurate, the stuff that they catch and they right. see. My problem, this is about me, Yes, mm-hmm. is that if I'm not standing right there with you... You're not spooked. ...looking at the gear... I No, I just... <laughs> oh, you don't know. To I need to trust know. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. need to know that nothing has been tampered with. Because, you know, I worked in post-production for however many years. Sure. I can make a lot of crazy stuff happen if yeah. you just give me 10 minutes in the edit bay. Right. So I... I I always have the harder time with that, but I really I did really enjoy that episode. I mean, one of the main things I enjoyed about it was seeing inside the castle. Since we can't go to Czechoslovakia this week, exactly. You know, and, <laughs> exactly. And um, I also I, and I thought the experiments were really cool. And the other thing I th- thought was really cool about that uh, episode of that show was that w- what stuff did happen that was creepy, but it was kind of understated, which did have me leaning towards believing in their experiments because they didn't yeah. they didn't really. No, it didn't feel like they were doing a whole like, lot of exaggerating. No, it's not
0: the uh, the Disney album we listen to as, as kids. Uh, the librarian will put it on. It's the, it's the rattling chains and the, whoa. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. Who's got my skinny toe? <laughs> a, I have that some, on vinyl. It. Yeah, it's a classic. I think I've
0: Instagrammed it. Right? right. This is what you'll find out if you talk to anybody who's done some paranormal investigations And this is a term that I love. I'm glad I remember this. What they bring up in the show is that a lot of these experiences are what they call a personal experience. Yeah. So what they're talking about is when you get there, I felt— Yeah, that was great how they classified that. I felt my spinal cord— drop about 30 degrees and
1: I started tingling and I felt short of breath well that's can't be recorded if you can't reproduce it on the gear yeah right. but but they're saying if you do if they if we do point a thermometer at you yeah. and it shows the temperature dropping then we have scientific proof that something unusual is happening or something that corroborates what you're saying is happening Exactly, is happening. right but if we can't do that if it's and and that's the other thing that's really great about that because I thought that was interesting when they said you know well what we want for you is evidence this is a person Experience yeah. and they talk about the personal experiences, and I, it actually helped me with our vocabulary for our show. When yes. I saw that, I thought, "Oh, this is good," because the the point of the personal experience is that it it can it can be a thing that you perceive that no one not only can it not be measured, right? it might not be happening outside your head but then does that mean that you're crazy or does it or <laughs> yeah. is something really happening inside your head that's just for you no no you and you're
0: getting at a thing that i bring up quite often and and i think some people get it especially if you had a an experience and if you haven't and you don't really believe in this stuff you'll never get it until you do it's the devil in the diner experience and that, you know, people will say, I've said it ad nauseum. It's like, well, it's just a weird guy in a diner. It's like you didn't you didn't feel that. And there weren't there wasn't another person, your best friend, sitting there with you who felt the same exact thing but did not say it at the time. So that's the personal experience. It's that feeling of like I'm looking at the devil. Yes. And it's right staring right into your soul and you're chilled to your core. Well, when you go out and do these paranormal experiments and things like that, there's Hours and hours and hours where nothing at all happens.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the other lore that surrounds this place. Yes. Uh, yeah. Some of the stories that have been told, and I've heard this two ways. Sometimes people see a, a large black horse yes. outside the structure yeah. with de- that's been decapitated. And running and around And gushing blood. Yeah. Another story says that it's a man dressed in black. Decapitated, gushing blood. Both guys are gushing blood. Yeah. I just by this. By the way, I just want to quickly little aside on the gushing blood. Sure. Uh, in college, I'm with I lived with my roommate in uh, North Carolina. We had this little apartment. Oh, Phil. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Phil, and we had, we were in this apartment complex that that there was just a lot, this is in Greensboro, North Carolina, and there's a ton of buildings in it. But then for some reason, there were these three buildings just on the other side of a fence that clearly had been built with these, but they got orphaned a long time ago and they went way downhill. So they looked Uh, just like ours, but this was kind of the low rent. Right. Yeah. And I remember one night we were, uh, I think we were cooking out and then across the fence there, somebody came Banging out of one of the screen doors, having an argument with yeah. his uh, girlfriend or whoever his roommate yeah. was or whatever. And he went, I'm gushing blood. Uh, and I've never forgotten it. So I don't know. That was wait, the that, worst story ever. <laughs> <laughs> wait, he, was, he still had his head, right? Yeah. He had, I think she had stabbed him. Are you somebody. kidding? No, I'm not kidding. Oh, dear. They, but you didn't see any blood. No, he was bleeding pretty bad. Oh, geez. So whenever I yeah. hear the phrase gushing blood, yeah. whether it's the horse or the man at right. Hoska Castle, I always think of the redneck guy that got stabbed across the
0: it, way. It, 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 freaked <laughs> you, it freaked you out. But you went back to cooking your North Carolina barbecue. Well, you know, I can't yeah. remember if we called the police or the police just showed up. I but, see. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of a, uh, a redneck ghost story is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, thanks you. For know, that. I say redneck, having been a redneck, I know. I've we all, still got we, it in my blood. No, so we, I don't we, want to yeah. save the emails. No, we, we both, I am a redneck. I can yeah. say that I'm a redneck. Parts exactly. of me, anyway.
0: Well, we both do. Yeah. Uh, at least in parts of our family. So, yes. uh, but here's the deal with uh, stories like that: is that it's very dramatic looking, especially a, a horse, a headless horse gushing blood, a, a la The Godfather in the yes. bed, or it's a man. No, who's that's headless. a horseless head. It, yeah, there's still a lot of oh, very nice. There's still <laughs> a lot of blood though, and when you see it, uh, I think your point being is that yeah. when you see blood, uh, either spectral or real, coming from a stabbed redneck, uh, yeah. it's very shocking. And so these are very frightening images that these people are seeing, and and there's there's common ones to this place, and so the ones you hear all the time. Are going to be the the flying leathery specters, yes. uh, the bat-like, giant bat-like weird creatures flying around uh, above the castle. You hear about the headless horse. You hear about the headless man. We're not saying it's one or the other. Yeah. Is that in addition to that, Yeah, uh, you,
1: you're seeing a bunch of things.
0: Another All one I know see, is if you
1: see the headless man on the headless horse, get out of the way because they cannot see where they're going.
0: <laughs> <There is> like, <laughs> head, you'll, you'll be the one gushing blood. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it, it's freaked people out. From the beginning, from the from the early history, from the beginning of this uh, the history of this place, another one that people claim to see quite often is a beautiful blonde woman with long hair in yes, The lady in white. in white, the lady in white, and she roams Inside. the upstairs. Yes, uh, but people have seen her through the windows. Uh, From the outside. Right. So nobody really knows. Usually historically you can find like, oh, well, that was lady so-and-so who was murdered on her wedding night, you know, and, uh, and she roams the halls looking out the window for her lover. There's no historical connection that anybody could find to these particular characters. But repeatedly throughout the centuries, people have seen the same thing. So it makes you wonder.
1: An additional frequent sighting. At Castle Hoska is a group of men in black robes. Yes. Chained together. Prisoners. Prisoners. Carrying body parts. Their own or others. And being attacked along the way by a black dog.
0: Yeah. Ripped apart like the
1: hellhound they've been seen on the grounds i guess i don't know i feel like that was is that still outside of the castle i believe that things, is still yeah. outside
0: and uh there's some specters that people claim to see inside solely and these other ones they see outside they're a little like the night marchers you in see it in yeah. 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 Which
1: I hadn't heard of. And this is a, a fun little aside. Uh, as we said on previous episodes, we just went to podcast movement. We met this really amazing guy there named uh, Charlie Jewett, who yeah. has uh, a podcast on retirement, actually. What's, yes. it, what's it called? Uh, Renovating Retirement. Renovating yeah. Retirement. But uh, he was just... Super charismatic. He grew up in Hawaii yeah. and had just an amazing he's life. A surfer. surfer, yeah. yeah. When you like, see
0: this guy, it's he's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> the, he, like, yeah, he's
1: just the coolest dude. I was yeah. like, uh, I'm so uh, like I'm already uncool, but now I'm like super <laughs> now uncool. You,
0: now but you look uncool. He
1: told yeah. us uh, he told us all about the Night Marchers and a really amazing story, which frankly I was so intrigued with. I I might want to cover on a future show. Yeah, uh, warriors who and
0: and again, well, I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, I studied a little bit about the uh, history of Hawaii and essentially the king's warriors were so embarrassed that they were so easily overtaken by modern weaponry that he ordered them to march off cliffs.
1: Right, and and Charlie was out on a date, and at, at a couple points he had seen stuff, but he was out on a date one night, and he and his girlfriend were having a romantic evening on, yeah. on the cliff, and they look over a little ways down the beach, and they see just bright uh, orbs. Frankly, either ores of light uh, could be torches <clears throat> that they're torches, carrying. But just going off a cliff, going and, up the cliff. into the sea and, and disappearing before they hit the water. But he saw that and and got and I just got chills. Yeah. It's
0: you? a real thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, was, and if you live there for any length
1: of time, you will usually see them. But anyway, that ties back to you know this this group of chained men yeah. outside Hoska. It's it's a recurring theme. It's a recurring theme, and, and usually my
0: belief is that when you get a place that's been around that long, and it is one of the most well preserved. Castles in all of Europe, in Bohemia and Central Europe. It's, yes, it's very well preserved. Well, it's not really fancy. It's again, it's just a big square. Yeah, it's a big block. Uh, but it is. It, it fell into disrepair over the years, and we'll, we'll yeah get well to that. preserved from the from that time from period. that time period. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's pretty much intact. And throughout the years, it has seen a lot of bloodshed from the Thirty Years' War and lots of killing to World War II and the Nazis. We'll talk about that in a bit. But it's seen a lot of pain and misery and death. And when you have that all happening in one location, I believe there's a residue.
1: Well, and that's the thing that we talk about, you know, again, if you believe any of this at all, as as Forrest was alluding to (laughs) a minute ago, uh, even if it wasn't haunted in the first place, uh, after all this bad stuff goes down... A lot of times, that's when things start to build up. If you again, if you believe it, it's in. But we've seen it with the stories that we've covered. Uh, Some of the other things that uh, that we've talked about. Oh, you know what? How about that creature? There's a hybrid creature there. There's my favorite. It's really yeah.
0: yeah. No, no. The other big thing is that uh, the villagers again since day one since the Earth you know, fissured open and ushered forth all kinds of uh, hellish stuff. Creatures. Creatures. Yeah. Uh, al- the one big recurring theme is hybrid. Animals. Cryptids.
1: Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, like cryptids, yeah. They are
0: kind of cryptids, but not your fun ones like Bigfoot that throw candy bars at you in rocks yeah. <laughs> from yeah. a distance or or, or tree knock. Uh, these have been reported to steal livestock, maim and kill livestock, maim or kill villagers that have wandered too close to the opening. Yes. So these aren't good creatures and very weirdly described ones too. Again, not like your chupacabras of your, or your, you know. Well, there was one,
1: wasn't there some like frog man? Yes, it's my
0: favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, a, some kind of strange chimera of animal that is part bullfrog, part bulldog, and part human. So imagine that crawling around giving you the evil eye
1: I think you were just again I think you're trying to reintroduce your favorite reference yeah uh, in the, the 1970s version of Invasion of the Body oh my Snackers. god you
0: read my mind you really did I know you're going there the but yes. dog with the human face oh, <laughs> that scene is the <laughs> that, worst I don't know because that was pre-digital so era scary yeah, yeah. I, I think they just put a a, a latex mask uh, lifelike you know kind of a Rick Baker I don't know how they did it affair on the dog
1: I can't get it out of my
0: head yeah no know and that's what causes uh, uh what's her face in the movie to scream and give up their um you yeah, know because you can't it. yeah no, no
1: spoilers you got to see it
0: no right and and but it, it's very upsetting and so uh, imagine seeing a giant creature like that that is also part rip, reptile you know frog and uh yeah frog dog man frog dog man yes hey Call Stan
1: Lee. <laughs> well, hey, man, I got an idea. Yeah, no, this, is, uh,
0: <laughs> this is the stuff of nightmares. So yeah. that's, uh, and again, there's some reasons that might be much more mundane for some of these explanations. And
1: I often believe that that could also be the cause of these uh, sightings. Well, in addition to the apparition, the, the woman in white... Which so many places have, but in addition to her, and then addition to the chained men and the headless horse and the headless man and the black dog, also inside the structure there have been there's a uh, a, um, a walkway. Up yeah, it's on, kind of a, it's-
0: yeah, it's kind of not a mezzanine, but sort of. It's it's like an upper uh, walkway, which is very common in medieval structures.
1: Yes, and they have seen uh, frequently. Lots of people have seen. A black shadow walking back and forth up there or appearing up there. And in the Ghost Hunters episode, they interviewed a couple of eyewitnesses, including there was a woman who was there, I think, with her boyfriend or her husband. And they both saw two figures who then passed near them and uh, made some kind of remark about killing little girls. Well, that was – yeah. So the story goes with them is
0: that they were there uh – I because you can you can stage uh people stage
1: weddings there for yeah. <laughs> believe it or it's not an, well it's an event site like, an event, I was yeah. at the website yesterday and uh, there you can go and see uh, a symphony perform or whatever they they do stuff up there for yeah. sure yeah.
0: and and again so, like with most places most you know ninety nine percent of the time nothing happens but it's that one percent something really scary happens and with their story they were there I believe having dinner or just afterwards or kind of relaxing and they hear this loud thump on the floor next to them they both turn around nothing's there and then they both see these shadow people dementors we were talking that's the flying creatures yes. over the over the, <laughs> over the top of the castle but some kind of black smoke spectry beings approach them and they hear clearly them whisper things about killing young girls yeah so again uh, it's seen uh you know a thousand years of really murderous behavior and, well, and, and the, death.
1: And then there's the other one that's, I think, one of the best ones from modern times is is the gentleman. I, he's the current owner, isn't he? Yeah, the current owner. And this
0: is actually one of the best stories. And of course, he spent the most amount of time there is Jaromir Simonek.
1: And I believe he's part of the Skoda automobile manufacturing family. Uh, well, yes, late in the, in the early 1900s, I believe, the president of Skoda, uh, the the chief Corporate officer. Yeah, I remember this, this would be like the, the mid to late 20s, I believe. Yeah, he, yeah. Had, he had started out with the company, and he moved up and up and up, and he was doing very well. He bought the, he bought the castle in the early 1900s, and in the 1920s, uh, he passed away, and uh, it changed hands a few times. And I believe in some of our research, what I had found was that – Uh, through a legal case it was returned to his descendants and I think how that's that's how this gentleman got it
0: yeah Yeah. the the story I heard actually
1: his parents got it right and from my
0: uh, from Pete and Travis kind of what they explained is that you know when the communists take over they claim everything all your personal property and then it belongs to whatever they want to do with it but as as Pete explained They claim ownership and then they don't really take care of it so that it falls into disrepair. And then, of course, with the fall of communism, they kind of give it back or, you can, you know, that. Well, they don't want to give it back because the government would have nothing, as as Pete said. So it's kind of a fight to get stuff back into private ownership. Uh, But if you don't know, Skoda is kind of the national car of Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic. So they're very proud of it. Well, it'd be like Henry Ford. Yes. He's like the the, the father of uh, Czech cars, uh, Skoda. So a very prominent family but he also has the best one of the best stories that you'll see in
1: yeah this uh, the man show. who I, I believe is the is the grandson i think so yeah yeah and he's he's a senior citizen he's yeah an and older, he's probably in gentleman. his
0: late 60s uh, yeah. early 70s at least at yeah. this point yeah. uh but why we're describing you know one of the stories from the show here is that it's often repeated in a lot of online articles uh, uh, on websites that feature this, yes, uh, because it is one of the best stories. Uh, what I love also is that he was with some friends. They were having uh, dinner, or j- again, just afterwards. That's when these things happen. So inside the castle, inside the castle, they're standing in the hall, uh, as he described. I think on the second story, uh, there is a table kind of in this hall, and they're they're talking. He hall set, being a room, not a hallway. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. No. No. In in the old traditional yes, sense, the long the, the word, long hall. room. Yes. He sets his wine glass down on the table as he's talking, and what does it do? It levitates
1: up into the air by, as as he's describing it, it would seem like a few feet. Yeah, off the table. off the table, in front of him and a group of his friends, he reached out and grabbed it. In midair. In midair, and put it back down on the table. Uh Which I would love to have seen his attitude this one because maybe he knows it 's on it, maybe he's just like, "Oh, come on, you know <laughs> well, what what, what do his friends think? Because yeah. you know he lives there, or yeah he, you know he owns it, so he, what do they think? So he puts it back down on the table, and after that it slides from where he set it over to the exact middle of the table,
0: yeah, so that's got to freak you out,
1: so between that and all the other stories and the apparitions and then the and then we're going back hundreds of years, if not well over a thousand really, yeah. when you think about it. There's been a lot going on here for a long, long time. And what we wanted to do in terms of our research and the the arc was just indisposable on this episode, uh, especially since so much stuff was in a foreign. Oh
0: yeah, so so many disparate sources.
1: There were there was a lot to come up with, and I want to thank everybody in the research corps for all the free research they did. As, uh, <laughs> as Marie's right. husband says, yes. Right. <laughs> but this story just unfolded like a blossoming flower. There was so there's so much more to it than just it's a building on a hole, yeah. and it, which is what I thought, frankly, when we first decided to A go blossoming flower of evil. Yes. Yeah. Nicely done. Okay. Um, what was the onion? The haunted onion? The, there was the, yes, oh, the, the right. The haunted onion, but it still I, makes you cry. <laughs> I think that, um, I think they're going to be able to share a lot of interesting information with you about the castle. Also the, the history of the area and how, how everything ties together.
0: Yeah. Because one point I want to make here, which when we get to the description of it and, the, and kind of the initial history of, of how it came to be One thing is undeniable because you can always say like, well, it's an old building. Sure, weird stuff happens. It's the heat. It's the stairs creaking. And and really, people are just making this stuff up to give tours. Well, the building itself does not make any sense. And when you think about it, there's only one reason why it was made the way it was over many years under great toil and contemporary expense and time. The reason that's the most unlikely and crazy and paranormal is the one that makes the most sense, and that's what I love about this building.
1: All right, so why don't we start out by talking about where it is? the 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 first thing we should say is uh, we haven't been to the Czech Republic. I would, I really want to go, especially now. No,
0: twenty years ago Prague was the place to go, especially if you were kind of a struggling writer because things were cheap. The the food was delicious and affordable the beer was excellent well there you. well go. no that's what yeah, all my it's friends were, like a true bachelor well no they were in college <laughs> it's like hey man i'm i'm gonna uh, write my novel in prague man that's like hey, you can't go wrong there and so this place that we're talking about not that far north of prague no, see
1: that's the good news if you're in prague you're only about 40 miles away from it it's it's 40 miles north northeast of prague yeah so it's about 64 kilometers north and
0: a little east uh directly uh, above prague yes and close to the border. So if you're picturing the map, it's close to the northern border of the Czech Republic, uh, kind of between the dividing line between Germany and Poland. Yes. Uh, it's slight, Just slightly more on the German side, if you draw a straight line between uh, those, those borders there. And guess what? Not all that far away from Nazi bell territory. That's true. Yeah, and those mines there. So again, lots of uh, of stuff going on in the area that's kind of
1: mysterious. It is one of the, as we said earlier, it's one of the best preserved castles from its time period. It is predominantly Gothic. It has a kind of a famous green chamber, a green room, which you, if, when you look it up, it's one of the first pictures that comes yes. up is the green chamber, mm-hmm. which has a bunch of paintings in it. And then it also has a knight's drawing room yeah. where knights would go and sketch pictures. <laughs> yes, I
0: think. <laughs> That's a good question, though. I think they were just drawn. You know, it's like I, you know drawn I had together. to look up the drawing did you, room. Did you look up the – yeah. I looked up say? the drawing
1: room. A drawing room is a place to entertain folks and traditionally was connected to a stateroom where you might find the king or the most prominent member right. of the household. And so the drawing room would be right next door, and people would gather in it. Yeah. And then when the when the when the person came out from the stateroom, yeah, the, those were the first people they saw for the day. Yeah, they're here in the drawing room. But then later it became more of a of a thing. It's like, oh, it's a place to entertain. That's right. not where the masses are in the house. They're, exactly. It's less public. Yes, area. it's
0: more right. of a parlor where people uh, did their entertaining. Right. So this uh, is
1: where yeah. knights they were not drawing pictures. Instead, they sat in there and talked about armor. <laughs>
0: You're right, you're right, but there was there was a lot of that because it's a, uh, a prominent area for again, as we said, for Bohemia and a lot of the uh, the duchies and uh, the knights of uh, of old and uh, and days of bold, but they uh, you know that story. So so the point though I, is uh, that it's it's folks, um, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just nod <laughs> and pretend. and days of old when knights were bold and the, 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 I'm not going to do the whole. What is it from? There. Do you want me to look that up now?
1: No, don't look it up. Okay, it just, you you can't it's an old them. it's an
0: old poem. Ah. Yeah, I can't remember the rest of it right now because you we're, you're derailing me. here. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the point is oh, that my <laughs> fault. <laughs> there is there is a lot uh, going on, especially when you get to the late Middle Ages, uh, the 1500s and 1600s. Lots of turmoil going on here, and again leading up into the Thirty Years' War, where there's even more. But during this this period of time. Uh, You know, people are just they're they're in villages. They're just trying to get by and and, uh, subsistence farm and, you know, doing okay for the most part. But, you know, there's again, this is a very strange place when you see the placement of the castle there's another huge clue that something's not right with this because it's in a very weird location.
1: Well, and on top of that, the other interesting thing about it is, is there is a prominent castle within eyesight known as Bezdias, which I had to get Travis to teach me, Travis Dow to teach me how to say. But that yeah. castle is the more prominent castle in the area. It's well situated. Yeah. It's because what you want to do is you want to be near water. You want to be on high ground. You want to be defensible. It's also a good location to take care of uh, people in the area if they are working in a village that's associated with the castle and Bezdiez has all that going for it. Hoska not so much. Yeah. Hoska is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Remote even to this day. Yes. And it's it this the location has no real strategic
0: purpose. Here's the difference is that Besdiz is what a military fortification should be, which is the basic essential idea of a castle, is that you, whoever the leader is in the area, you're protecting him from an onslaught of marauders. Yes. Uh, and, you know, in, in the old-fashioned English one, you had a bailey, so the people could rush in, you'd pull up the drawbridge, and at least your core amount of people are going to get saved, and you can defend the area. And that's not totally the case, with, but Bezdiez is more traditional in that sense, and it makes more sense. And that's not what you had with Huska. There's a lot of things about it that don't make common sense for any building.
1: Well, for one, there's no drinking water anywhere yeah. nearby. Which means then you have to bring it all in. Yes. Yeah,
0: which it's, is a pain in the butt.
1: It's also not along any established trade routes. It's not near any local borders, old or new. Right. And also, by the way, it has no kitchen. It did It was not built with a kitchen. It was not built... To be lived in. Not now, really. And it, it may have a kitchen now yeah. because it's a tourist site, but when it was built, there was not a kitchen in it. Exactly. And uh, Tyler McGee, who was the property manager at the time when Ghost Hunters International was there in their episode, Gate to Hell, said the following, There's no other castle in the world that's Hoska's duplicate. It's a cube within a cube within a cube. There are no fortifications, no trade paths, just thick woods, swamps, rocks. There's no water, there's no defense mechanism, there's no strategic importance, there is no reason for this structure to exist way out here in the middle of nowhere. Or and, something to that effect. Those are
0: my notes from the show but yes. uh, but, the, but those that's are not all not an exact points. quote. Yeah, yes. no no, but it doesn't matter. Those are all the same points though that everybody brings up because that's the facts, folks, yeah. is that uh, you can't argue that, uh, well, you know, th- there was water here at one time or it made sense. To, no, none of it makes sense to put a, uh, a a large, giant stone castle there.
1: Yeah, I do want to say one thing. Just, you know, we'll get we'll get into more of the sort of course correction, fact correction stuff in part two of this series. I, I do want to point out that at one time it did have some external defenses. It is still primarily focused on an internal defense system against something in the courtyard or where the gate to hell is. Yeah. That's its main function. But it did at one point have a moat. Uh, I think it had some uh, and R- ramparts as ramparts, well. ramparts, right. And those things were removed. I can't remember which king it was, and honestly, you guys don't need to know. Believe me, we could be yeah. naming people every three seconds. <laughs> You're never going to remember them. You're not going to yeah. remember. It's just going to muddy the water. But there was a point at which there was a king who was concerned that rebels may use fortified structures— to mount an insurrection or something, so they went around and they they just kind of made these old buildings a a little bit easier to attack in the event that something should go wrong. Because also what you have to remember, throughout the course of history, different people are claiming ownership
0: of this thing, and they're using it for different purposes. Yeah. And so what's happening is that one guy will get in, it's like, well, this is weird, as, as the phrase you'll often hear with this building, it's inside out, in that... The things that, the fortification properties of it are on the inside, they should be on the outside. But that's the point, is that, yeah, as the years and uh, the rulers of the area claim ownership of this place and use it for different things, they're making modifications or taking some away. That's what's happening throughout the years. But essentially, what's still there, the stone edifice itself, does not fit the usual uh, pattern, layout, design Of a building of that nature so you also have to keep in mind these things take years to build under with great effort as i said previously it's not just willy-nilly or or we forgot to put in an outlet in this room it's nothing that small this thing was intended to be this way but as all the authorities who comment on this building that that know what they're talking about will say is that it does look like it was meant to contain That's the thing you hear over and over, and and that's really not up for debate.
1: And it's not a residence. It was never meant to be a residence.
0: Last week, something tragic and very unexpected happened to a good friend of mine. And I've already told Scott, but I thought I'd share it here because it's relevant to all of us. And he had a family, and he was only 54. I thought very carefully about whether or not I should share this because I don't want it to seem like I'm capitalizing on anything. It's just made me personally do a lot of thinking. And it was an important reminder for me that life is short. We should all make sure family is taken care of if something bad happens. Don't leave it to them to sort it out afterwards and struggle. Now, that should go without saying, but I don't think enough of us, myself included, plan enough or give enough thought about the eventualities in life. Now, my friend was a very responsible guy, so I'm sure he had something in place. And I'm
1: not telling you what to do, but you should do something. Well, I was sad to hear about your friend, and it's made me do a lot of thinking too. I get the feeling a lot of people don't have any life insurance because they don't want to think about it. They don't know the first step to go about getting it, and they think they can't afford it. What we're trying to do here is tell you about how to go check it out so your family can get some security sooner than later. PolicyGenius.com is a quick and very easy way to just go learn about life insurance. Compare quotes, save some money, and find the policy that's best for you and your family. They have a team of licensed experts waiting to talk you through it, and PolicyGenius has already placed over $5 billion in life insurance, so they know what they're doing. If you've been putting off life insurance, or you want to make sure the insurance you have is right for you, check out PolicyGenius.com today. You can save up to 40% just by comparing policies. The quotes are free. There's no sales pressure and zero hassle. PolicyGenius.com. It's life insurance for the 21st century.
0: Forrest and Scott, thank you for supporting their sponsors. I'm Cat Wells. Now back to the show. Now here's one fun tidbit that you hear a lot being bandied around, especially on the websites uh, that may or may not be true. And Scott's going to fill you on in the real story here. Uh, but it adds to the lore is that a lot of the windows in this building are fake. They're actually bricked up from the other side. They just want to look they, – they want you to think there's
1: windows. You know what this building is reminding me of? It's yeah. like those when the what, water – What, Disneyland? No. no. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, that's a right, good point. With the fake windows. When the water department tries to put the pump station like right in the middle of the neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> and they yeah. build like a little fake house. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. with the – a couple of fake trees, or you know, maybe yes. they're even real trees, but there's no windows, and yeah, you know, that kind of a, just me like out. a white pickup goes there once every three months, you know, uh, exactly. Well, that's, but without yeah. that, you know, you 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 wouldn't have water coming out of your tap. It, you know what else it reminds me? Yeah, of? maybe you're right. Maybe we are getting punchy. Forrest just said that while the mic while we were stopped because yeah. it's a little late. Uh, <laughs> It also reminds me of those cell phone towers that pretend to be trees. With the fake limbs. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not so scary. That's just kind of ugly. But yeah. the, po- the yeah, point here point. is that,
0: what do you mean the windows aren't real? It, it kind of, you know what it reminded me of is that uh, our Hollywood ending, our first show. And show that, one. the house with the windows that look kind of like the fake Thunder Mountain Railroad ride at Disneyland. And there's those little Western towns and they're fake windows that it's unnerving so that's another great element to the story if it's not true that these windows are just trying to make you feel better (laughs) from the outside but really they don't want anything getting in or out uh but i i think you're saying that
1: it may not be true yeah you you had come across that information and i couldn't find it corroborated in any other place about the windows i think it only came from one source you and i were arguing about whether or not it was in the ghost hunters episode or written, written down somewhere i'm not positive about that story. I do know that they recently discovered a room that they didn't know existed. And it had a window that it could have, could account for the roots of that story. Oh, I see. Yes. Because the window was concealed by either earth or something that fell away. And then they saw the window and they were like, what is that? And yeah. then they figured out that at some point during prior construction, when the ceilings were lowered yeah. in part of the castle, that uh, inadvertently a room had been created, a right. secret room. Yeah. It's the Cthulhu room. <laughs>
0: that's, <laughs> that's what Tess close. said. Yeah. But
1: I, I think maybe it was just like a bad renovation. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> no. And then yeah. that might explain the origin for this false window story. Right. Because y- you can tell when you watch videos of the castle, there's, they're inside, there's windows, and you can look out the windows. Yeah. But also, it's been through a ton of renovations Th- that over hundreds tr- of years. Exactly. So that's that's. It. I'm sure so it has a kitchen now, for example. So, well, I would
0: hope so. A food prep area,
1: anyway. Yeah. Just
0: like your local Holiday Inn. So,
1: no, you order it, yeah. and it takes them two hours they, to bring
0: it. Well, they just heat it there. Yeah. So, but the point is that as we tell the story about uh, the castle, you're going to hear recurring like light motifs, as we learned in film school, and uh, you know modalities here of the of the legendary stories not only themes that have to deal with like bottomless pits, because you'll hear the same kinds of ideas and stories and legends keep coming up. But it's also, as you're just saying, there's something really scary about the sealed in room. Like it always reminded me of Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado, where a guy gets sealed up, he gets bricked up after being chained up. It's, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah. So, true or
1: not, it adds a lot to the Hoska story. It does, indeed. Well, here's the only thing about it that is kind of castle-like. Yeah. And, the, and this, this connects it to religion as well, and this is something that will be a recurring theme as we discuss the idea of this place. It is on high ground. And uh well most also, fortifications are because that yeah, the tactically you
0: it's easier to defend from a high position because every military person will tell you it's 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 easier I have the to the high
1: ground.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. No, because it's true. So uh that's where you put your fortifications, your churches. It's reverent. The idea is that it it's like a lot of places, but again, uh and there's certainly monasteries that are built way high up. But they're only meant to be habitated by monks, you know, that that climb up ropes. So this but one is is surrounded by cliffs.
1: It is surrounded by cliffs, but it, it's the one thing though that when you can see it from a distance. Yes. If you wanted to build a castle to be an impo- imposing structure, but also defensible, th- that is the one check mark that it has. It's a large building that you can see from a distance. Yeah. It is imposing, even though there's no reason. Not not even though there's not a lot of other reasons for it to be there. Now, there was a rumor, and again, this may be more part two kind of thing, but there was a rumor that it was originally developed as almost some sort of office to manage the, the, the neighboring lands. And Yeah, no, no, but, that's a, that's a, it's a solid
0: idea in that yeah. it was kind of an administrative building of the time to just function as like an office building. Yeah. Now, I don't know why you wouldn't have a kitchen because we all need to eat lunch and have a snack. So, yeah. uh, but it's not, it's not even got a kitchenette. No. Uh, where you uh, where you eat your yogurt. The, the the idea, though, is that it could have been like a records-keeping edifice for that. But even then, there's some problems that I have with this building. The main one being you don't put a building over a hole. That just yeah. does
1: not make sense in the first place. Well, and and before we move on from this, I did want to say... Something important to consider about the high ground again, and it's the aspect of it as it relates to religion, and that the idea that, especially in pagan religions, which is what was going on in the Slavic areas right about the time that the first castle, the wooden castle, was built, which we're going to explain the difference between the wooden one and the stone one here in a minute— there were a lot of pagans, yeah, and part of the pagan rituals would require you to go to a high place, to go up on the mountain, pyramids. The the symbology of that, yeah, there, yeah,
0: nature it, figures prominently. Places yes. are, are are sacred, so it's very tied into nature and animism, and uh, you know, so you yes. just don't put a building up anywhere or some kind of altar or sacred place. It has to have significance with the surrounding nature. And so that's what you see here. But it's just, a, it's just an odd
1: place to put a building that's kind of hard to get to. All right. The next thing we want to do here is talk a little bit about the timeline of not only this location, but the structures that were built on it and try to try to nail down when the gateway to hell opened up and what exactly it is. Now, in the open, I talked about Prince Slavabor and he built the first wooden structure there that was intended to honor his son, Hosek. Around the year 878, and it, again, when we get back this far, all bets are off. Oh, it's looks well, like a, date. Yeah, but you, it's like
0: all the Middle Ages. That's really hard for historians because a lot of the records were lost, or they wouldn't. They weren't taken. weren't down. even kept. Yeah, exactly in, <laughs> in, the, in first the first place. place right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you'll see historians say that it's like you. Uh, the Romans kept great records. You had great historians in that time, and then they hate the term. Most I think most professors and historians the Dark Ages yeah uh, because it's like no it wasn't no there was a lot of art and great flourishes of of culture happening but the record keeping is a little spotty so that's what you're seeing here is that they're just they're just going about their lives but uh, you know solid records that weren't lost sometimes there's gaps
1: there was definitely a shortage of scribes. Right, Either that or they weren't able to keep the paper. Now, so, but let's do talk about this. One of the things that was fascinating to me about this story when we first discovered it was that when Slavibor built that first structure in honor of his son, Hosek, it was wooden. And I couldn't understand why it was wooden. And the reason that it was wooden was because we were right on the cusp of Stone Castle building. Yeah. And it's not that there weren't stone structures in the world, because there were. Yeah. There there were mosques. There were things that were made of stone all over. But when it came to castles or homes, a lot of times what they would do was they would build with the wood. You would go to where you were going to build it, and you would get the wood from the area You're in the and middle make of a the thick, building. Exactly. Yeah. You're in the middle of a thick forest. So there's plenty of wood. It's a lot easier
0: to work with. If you build a stone, uh, you know, a a stone edifice, well, you have to get that stone from a quarry and it's heavy and you have to truck it over a long distance depending on where the quarry is, where you're getting the stone. And uh, yeah, it's a lot more solid. But it, it also will take years longer to
1: build. So yeah. the first thing you build, if you can do it, is you build out of wood. And we still that we still do that today. Yeah, I mean, but here's the problem that they found out about the wood. One thing, aside from the fact that it doesn't last as long as stone, but they had no comparison because they hadn't even thought of using stone. Right. They were right on the cusp of it, but they hadn't quite done it yet in the late 800s. Uh, it catches on fire real easy. So if somebody comes after <laughs> you, true. all they've got to do is is catch your yeah. building on fire. A couple of flaming arrows and you're, it's over. Yeah, yeah. and you, you've got problems. But the the real stone castle craze started later in the 900s. And it, And if you look in England, for example, the White Tower that is part of the Tower of London was started in 1070. Yeah. So that was just a few hundred years after this first structure. So, and, and But th- there is one thing that's really significant and, again, points to the rich history of the Czech Republic. In Prague, the Prague Castle, which is monstrous, it is like the largest ancient castle in the world. Yeah. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, I found that out today, that was actually started in 870. But I don't know if the original construction was stone or wood. It evolved and evolved and evolved. Yeah, right, right. But when you look at it now, it it looks like the most magnificent building in all the world. It's just unbelievable. And that's just 40 miles away in Prague. Now, Hoska was and still is, as we've made quite clear, out in the sticks, as we say in the U.S. So wood was just the state of technology at the time that that first structure was built According to the legend, though, not too long after they built the original Castle Hoska out of wood, the limestone on which it was built split open. And that's when the legend of the hell hole or hell mouth or gateway to hell was born. Right. So if you look at the geology of the
0: surrounding areas, the the kind of the, the hilly cliffs there, it's a lot of limestone and you're on the edge of the Sudetenland. So it's the mountain, the mountain range there, uh, I think near the uh, the, the Oder River. What happens with limestone geologically is that it's, it erodes very easily. And as water flows through it, it eats away. That's how you get caves. That's how you get sinkholes. Well, that's uh, that's what happened here is that a massive fissure opened up and you know, in geological terms, and go way down. So yeah. uh, that's what happens. The pit opens up. Now, the year is unknown, but the legend has it that it was pretty close to right after the original Castle Hoska was built. So there's there's the start of all kind of the creepiness. Starts off nice wood structure. Once the earth opens up and now there's a bottomless pit or seemingly bottomless, that's when things start to heat up.
1: Yeah, so that's when we, and we already told you about all the things that were supposedly coming out of the pit, and essentially this scared everyone who was living in the castle, which I, it's hard for us to know how long they were there uh, exactly, but the the long and short of it was they abandoned, they abandoned the castle, the original wooden Castle Hoska, and nothing happened up there, and nobody, I probably went up there very much, for three to four hundred years until King Autocar II... Or Heinek Berka, the Duke of Duba, built the first stone castle on the same site as, Slavibor, as Slavibor's long ago decayed structure. Right.
0: Now the legend is, and again, it's kind of unverifiable, but the reason it was abandoned and untouched is that immediately after the earth opened up into the giant mouth of hell, that's when the local villagers started seeing strange creatures their livestock gets killed or goes missing. People near the entrance of this, they say if you wandered too close, you were afflicted with like a crippling disease for a while. You, you kind of walked and talked funny for...
1: For a, uh, a while, or you got sick. I just want to quickly say, I know what people are thinking, and we'll talk about it in part two.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Well, <laughs> well, no, I said that before. It's, it's like there might be some uh, natural reasons. Yes. But as I say with everything, it doesn't explain at all. Right. And we'll cover that as well. But the, the there's a reason for them to kind of abandon this thing that they put so much time and effort into uh, they were freaking out. Crops are dying. There's a lot of, uh, again, I think really it's the chimera. It's You don't want to see half human, half animal hybrids running around and beating on people. Or man frog dog. Man frog dog. Uh, it's a great you, band in the yeah. 70s. <laughs> they, you're going to want to avoid the area. So the locals especially avoided it at night because apparently that's when the, the creepy activity really ramped up. Uh, they would see flying things all the time. But yeah, strange uh, dementors and all kinds of things uh, were coming out of this. And so they left it alone for quite a while. Uh, and I think there was, it's, it's one of the things that, yes, we always talk about this, is that it's not happening every day like, oh, it's three o'clock, that's when the chimera comes out. Yeah. But enough throughout the ages that it keeps the legend alive and it keeps people afraid of it. And so uh, when King the II gives his permission for something to be built uh, now we're talking about the the stone structure that you're seeing today.
1: Yes, and this is somewhere in the latter part of the 13th century, although historians disagree about exactly when, for all the reasons we've already mentioned. You yeah, were talking mid 1200s to the late 1200s. Yeah. Yes, and oh, by the way, I did want to tell you the weird thing about Otto Car II. He died on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> August 26th. Did he now? Uh, yeah. 1278. Oh, well, happy birthday to both of you recently. Thank you. Okay. He was, that was 739 years ago.
0: <laughs> but do not look if, a day what, o- a- Oh, you mean he is. Oh, yeah. No, you don't look a day over uh, however old you
1: what are. Well, what if I'm him reincarnated? I mean, well,
0: was he he was a good guy, right? He was yeah. see there was some, like you said before, there were some good guys that took care of their people and yeah. there were some bad eggs. I heard he was considered one of the greatest kings of Bohemia.
1: Well, yeah, could to be-, be me, right? <laughs> I think you would
0: have a better gig than this.
1: All right. So okay. to recap, the day this show drops is the anniversary of the death of Saint Ludmila, and the day King Ottokar II died was my birthday.
0: Oh, very good. Some That's problems it's Kind of thin though, right? Yeah, the little. All
1: right. Yeah. Uh, uh, we do. Well, by the way, we have yeah. to talk about Saint Ludmila. No, no, no. I think her you story should, is yeah, is, you is should, amazing.
0: You should launch into it because it is again classic. Uh, Game of Thrones intrigue here.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try to keep this kind of short. There's a lot of people and a lot of names, but this is fascinating. And as it connects to Castle Hoska and the myth and lore of the region, and uh, for those of you who are Catholic and quite familiar with St. Ludmilla— Please forgive me if I mess this story <laughs> right. up because I only learned it th- three days ago. But <laughs> <laughs> he's crammed a lot into his head. We're to see if I can figure this out. But remember how we were talking at the beginning about Prince Slavibor of Bohemia? Yes. He had a son, Joseka, and a daughter, Ludmila. Joseka is the one that he originally built the wooden fortress, the, the very first castle Hoska yeah. up on the limestone before the chasm opened up. He was a much-beloved son. Yes, he yeah. was a much-beloved son. So he built that first structure up there sometime in the late 800s, as it's believed. His daughter, though, Ludmilla, she she was born a pagan, by the way, but as she grew older, she converted in marriage uh, shortly after her husband converted. They converted about the same time to Christianity. And it, it was interesting because... It, and that's what we were talking about, what's framing all of this and Castle Hoska and the time period. And I was thinking a little bit about the Jersey Devil, frankly. Yeah. When we dove into the history of that, and you take a look at the bigger picture of what's going on culturally, uh, with respect to William Penn and the Quakers right. and the colonization. and The, the key, Keithian uh, yes, stuff the happening. Yes, the Keithian yeah, controversy. Yeah. All the ideas that the, that people are having about what's going on, you've always got to take that into account when you consider how a legend is framed. Um, and, and I'm not saying the same thing is happening here by no, any stretch. No. I'm just saying you've got to take a look at all the mitigating factors. And yes. one of the things that is is going on is that Christianity is emerging in the area, and right. these Slavic pagan religions are being overrun by it. But in Ludmilla's case, her and her husband were converted to Christianity in a very kind way. He, yeah. he, I, I read a story from one of, the, one of our books about how... He met someone who I I think his name was Methodius, who... Yeah, yeah, you're pretty close. Yeah, who helped teach him about Christianity. He started by teaching him to be uh, humble and you know, eating on the floor instead of at the table and yeah. trying to help him understand about being pious and, and the difference between this and the other religion where you go out in the woods and you worship these seven different things for these eight <laughs> different reasons and yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So they made a conversion. And uh, one of the interesting things about Ludmilla and her husband is that eventually they retired to an area known as Tatine which is where they had a castle, that there's still remnants of it there. And Tatin is west of Prague. So it's in the opposite direction mm-hmm. from where Hoska is. So the interesting thing about Ludmila is that her husband, who I, I don't know why I haven't mentioned up until now, I should mention it, his name was Boislav. Boislav. Uh, he was the first Duke of Bohemia. He's the one who converted to Christianity. And they wound up converting together. He and Ludmila had a son. And the son. Married a woman, this would be the daughter-in-law, named Drahomira. And they had a child who became Wenceslaus I, yeah. who eventually was canonized himself.
0: Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's big time in Prague. Right. Well, he's big time in Czech Republic. Yeah.
1: Yes. And it, the interesting thing about Drahomira is that she was not... Happy with the very close relationship that Ludmila had with her child. Yeah. And some of what we read had indicated that the primary reason she wasn't happy was because Ludmila was teaching Wenceslaus I about Christianity and Drahomira was pagan. Hagen and wanted to stay that way. And I'll tell you, old habits die hard with a lot of people. Indeed. And Drahomira was not having it. I mean, aside from probably just flat out being jealous, she was not happy with how Ludmila was bringing up her son. Right. So eventually, Ludmila and Borislav had retired to their retreat in Tatin, where they, they love this place. This was a spiritual place for them. Yeah. And yeah. there've been lots of wooden representations of pagan idols out in the woods there. When they converted, he had them all taken down. Yeah. And they felt like it was a good place for their spiritual awakening to uh, adopt Christianity. And so it was kind of their base for that. And according to legend, Drahomir sent two guys to go visit Ludmila. Now Assassins. I, well, yeah, well, essentially. But she yeah. knew them. And they had dinner and they ate as friends. But according to the book that I read... She knew that it was over when she saw them coming down the road. Now, she was already a widow at this point. Borislav had died. Right. So she's alone in the, in the castle at Tatin. I mean, not alone, literally, but figuratively alone. And these two come. She has dinner with them. She knows who they are. Drahomira has sent them. And then she retires to her chambers to go to bed. And they show up in the evening. And they have come to kill her. And she knows it. So she stops them for a moment. And she asks them if she can pray. And they allow her to pray. And when she finishes praying, she tells them that she would like to have her head cut off with a sword so that she may bleed like a martyr. Unfortunately, they did not agree to that. They killed her by some accounts with a rope strangling her in her bed. Other accounts say that she was strangled with her own scarf. Yeah. You now, hear that one a lot, too. Yeah, you, know? you hear that one more often, actually. The the rope one that I read was, again, in this book I had that had a historical account that, that seems to be very focused on the legend of what happened. Yeah. But she didn't survive. She was dead that night, and Drahomira had succeeded in having her killed. And right. the, the, two, the two guys that came to kill her, I guess one of them's name was Tuna. <laughs> well, it depends on yeah. where you put the accent. I'm not sure tuna. where to go tuna. Yeah. Well, Travis told me uh, check's easy. You always just got to emphasize the first syllable. So, tuna. T- <laughs> tuna. Uh, <laughs> well, and the go. other one was Goman and yeah. uh they were the two and they had been offered estates and silver by Drahomira, but after they killed Ludmila, they wound up being betrayed by Drahomira as well.
0: And yeah, there you go. That's just, a that should ever a work lesson. out for yeah.
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> so Ludmilla. Uh, not watching Game of Thrones themselves. You know. Exactly. So Ludmilla was buried in Tatin at a church not far from the, the place that was so close to her heart and, and to uh, Borislav's heart. And Drahomira found out that semi miraculous things were happening at Ludmila's grave. Sainthood level. Yeah, like yeah. The, the the beautiful flowers were sprouting up over the grave, over the grave, all times of year. That it, it seemed to glow at night. Mm-hmm. So this, well, people will say that's fungus, but you we know, yeah. well. Drahomira got concerned about it, and so she went to Tatine and built a church over it. So officially now, Ludmila becomes uh, a collection of relics in a way. Yeah.
0: That idea, though, that you just said, yeah. uh, build a church over it, Yeah. our friends, Travis and Pete, had mentioned that as well, is that it, especially in Bohemia and Central Europe, when you're trying to balance out, I, I think in this case, draw a it, it's freaking her out. Yeah. Like, I better cap this off, I better tie this off, yes. cinch it off bad. The same thing on the reverse is happening with Hoska. And that it's, if it's something negative, you build something nice on top of it, which is a chapel. So here, this is interesting because that, that ties in with the idea, though. It's like, whatever it is, we got to like sweep this under the rug, build something on top of it.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what they did with Hoska. And, and I feel like we've overlooked that. We should have mentioned that earlier. I, I, I did say it in the original opening of the show. Yes, but, that's true. But when Hynek Berba built the Hoska Castle... He arranged for large stones to be put over the chasm and built a chapel directly above it. Right. And so to be clear,
0: the whole building is not a church. The large stone slabs were placed directly over the hole, and then on top of that is the chapel. Yes. But there's also a courtyard. There's, a like you said, the drawing room, the nice yes. drawing room. So there's these other buildings. There's an attic. There's also a basement, which is pretty creepy. Yes, and that's a great reason to, to watch the show. Is yeah. you actually get to see it. You well, know
1: there's a room called Satan's
0: office. Satan's office with Satan's office chair. Yeah, there's a chair. <laughs> <in it. You laughs>
1: Which, did not get it at Staples. No, it doesn't look
0: very comfortable, but it's it is creepy looking and it has the intended effect. So, yeah. so when we talk about this building, yeah, it's not all one big open church area. There's different parts of it, but specifically over the whole is the chapel, and the reason is to cap it off with good. You enjoy a glass of wine every now and then, right? I cook with wine. Sometimes I even add it to the food. <laughs> I think W.C. Fields said that. He did. And I think he got that quote off the flyer that sometimes comes in your Blue Apron delivery. I did. So you do know that Blue Apron also has kind of a wine club. I do. <laughs> All
1: right, Senor Taciturn, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about it then? Well, it is kind of cool. In addition to all the other great food, cooking tips, and tools Blue Apron offers, they also have a monthly wine subscription service. You get to choose from an incredible selection of wines for your monthly delivery for about $10 a bottle. And their pairing size wines hold the perfect amount for two to share. Not only that, you'll often get info cards with your regular Blue Apron delivery that tell you about what varieties are currently being featured, and sometimes they come with discount codes for your first shipment. You should check to see if it's offered where you live, but it really is worth checking into if you enjoy fine wines. Well, what I like is that with each shipment, they'll school you on tasting notes, pairing
0: tips, plus the story behind every wine. So I will appear way more sophisticated than I really am. It's just one of the many reasons Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and delivery service in the country.
1: And Blue Apron knows you're busy. So now they're offering 30-minute meals. These meals are made with the same flavor and farm-fresh ingredients you know and love and are ready in 30 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your first 3 meals
0: free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com/astonishing. That's blueapron.com/astonishing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook.
1: I'm Anastasia from Adelaide, Australia, and this is Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. So Wenceslaus I, who was very close to his grandmother, Ludmilla, in spite of the fact that his mom, Drahomira, built the church over her grave, decided that it was time to consider moving her closer to him. He wanted to have her closer to him. And also, as part of the process of canonization that was coming about for Ludmilla to become a saint, it made sense to move her to St. George's Basilica in Prague. The interesting thing was that when they retrieved her relics from under the church... In Tatine, that Drahumira... You're you're talking about the corpse. Yeah, the Uh, corpse, but mm -hmm. they call it relics. I know, the holy relics, relics. yeah, you talk about that. When they disinterred her, she did not appear to be decomposed at all. Not only that, she was smiling... (laughs) And had a bit of a glow about her, almost as though she could get up and walk away. Well, that goes to part of the canonization
0: process, is is appearance of miracles or something miraculous.
1: Yes, and so she was canonized, and she became Saint Ludmilla. Well, a quick aside, we didn't
0: really get to mention this in the Annalisa Michel episodes, but towards the end there, there were, let's say, factions that wanted to disinter her, Annalisa, yes. to check for those signs because right. I, and this is just off the top of my head, it was a long time ago, but I believe there was a nun who said she may have had a vision that if they did, she would appear fresh as a daisy. And she petitioned the family, the state did not want to do it. Finally, there was so much pressure, they did. And no, pretty much which you would expect fully decomposed. Yeah, yeah. So, Which I think was,
1: we, I think we did mention. Did that we ago. mention that? I uh, that think so. I'm well, not I sure remember. because I, I... sometimes it's fuzzy yeah. the line between what we've researched and what made it into the show. Is no,
0: and you run out of time, and maybe it's not important. But I thought it was it, it was very interesting because that happened, and the family wanted to pursue that angle. The police, you know, the, the authorities did not. All we, y- did. all we
1: do is we're just t- trying to get people disinterred on here. We, we're still working on the Somerton. Man. Or disinterred,
0: as I first said disinter- I I it. Yeah, just make them an intern and then not make them an intern. So, yes. But the case here is that there's something, at least contemporarily, there's something at the time that's so unusual that she is considered for sainthood.
1: Yes, and she so is. that's
0: a, that's the important uh, kind of wondrous part here. Not not as creepy. I mean, yeah, you're digging people up, but that wonders are being observed with
1: her. Well, yes, and now that she is a saint, she is considered the patron saint of Bohemia. Yeah, converts the Czech Republic, duchesses. Yeah. And here's my favorite. Problems with (laughs) (laughs) in-laws and widows. But yeah, the problems with in-laws, considering that her daughter-in-law had her strangled, uh, uh, that's a big problem. And I I just want to remind everyone that her feast day is celebrated on the 16th of September the day that this show is being released. And if we're lucky. sheer coincidence.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if we're lucky,
1: it gets out. But this just keeps happening to us. No, there, there's been... date n- things, yeah. like, when we picked this story, we didn't know that date. And no. but, it, but let's get further here, though. Why are we talking about Ludmilla? How does she relate to Hoska? Well, the first thing, just to recap, uh, let me sum up so everybody can understand. Ludmilla was the sister of Hosek, who the original fortress or castle at... Hoska Castle was built on the limestone, the wooden one. Yes. And she also was martyred and became a saint, mostly due to her conversion to Christianity. Right. Keeping in mind that there's a religious conversion in general happening in this part of the world, and she's a figurehead in that in that movement.
0: Yeah, well, often that was a bloody conversion because, again, people, uh, you know, it's, it's like the daughter-in-law. She wants to hold on to the old ways, and when you get to... there, There's a bit of a backlash, and you saw this a little bit with with uh Nazi Germany and people wanting to hold on to the uh, the the folk ways and that making a resurgence because it's part of people's identity. And so when you come in with a new religion, it's like, no, yeah, we're going to get rid of all that.
1: Yeah, go back to our Krampus show. We covered <laughs> Krampus way before that movie yeah, recently yeah. came out. Right, right. Uh, but it, it talks about sort of pagan rituals and that sort of thing. It's fascinating. And that's what you
0: see with history. It can be argued that when uh, like when Christianity comes in and you are talking about maybe the United Kingdom and areas like that, it's like, well, tell you what, you can keep some pagan things. And some festivals. We'll just, just agree to most of this. You can still do a few of the things you love to do, like the harvest festivals. and, and Like the, the, run
1: down the street dressed like a bale of hay <laughs> Slapping and smack women, smack women on, the on the booty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So some
0: of the some of the things we'll let you do because they realize that if you get rid of all of it, well, it ain't going to go down real well. So let the people have their fun and their old traditions as long as they adopt the main tenets. Will be fine. But it's like things like with the, the boughs of holly and the, uh, the fir boughs that are placed as decorations around Christmas time. Yeah. It's druidism. Right. So you, you let you let them keep some of that, but we're going to pray to the one true God. There's a lot you of know, Spinal yeah. Tap themes tonight. There's the Druids, there's <laughs> yeah. the Hellhole. There's <laughs> uh, the...
1: That's true, yes. Yeah, Well, anyway. <laughs> it's a brilliant film, and that's why. If so, you haven't seen it, see it. Exactly. Well, all right, so let me just finish up with Ludmilla. The, the, the re- part of the reason that she's significant, like we said, she is the sister to Hosek, who the original fortress, or the original castle was built for, but she also was a saint. But there's reason to believe that considering that that first... Castle was built for her brother was that she spent time in the area where the Hoska, the current Hoska Castle is, and not only that, there is a statue, a monument that was put to her, and they're all over Czechoslovakia because she's a saint and she's revered by the people, yeah. but there is a statue that was put up there by Hoska Castle in 1758, and it's in the woods a little bit. It's a beautiful statue. We'll have a picture of it on the website. But the fascinating thing is, is it's not exactly in a prominent area. It's just up there by Hoska Castle. You're and, talking about the statue, yeah, of, yeah. of Saint Ludmilla. Oh, and so the question yeah. is, why is that there? I don't. Is it there to protect from evil? Right. Now why I, do you put the yeah. saint up there? I mean, I guess you could say, well, you know what? Her family used to come here. They were the original developers of this land. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah. I, but it's an interesting thing, and I think it's interesting considering how she died and and uh, the possibility of miracles associated with her and the fact that she is now a saint. Yeah. And then they have this statue. I mean, they have statues of her in Prague as well, so.
0: No, and, and also Wenceslas, good King Wenceslas, huge figure in, uh, right. in Prague especially, beloved – But one thing, and I I loved, uh, we'll have a link, of course, to Travis and Pete's podcast uh, on this subject, because... The Bohemian. Yeah, Bohemian podcast, because they actually went there. But I love listening to it because the tone, is that, you know, again, getting eyewitness accounts and firsthand accounts, that's the way to go. Somebody was there. And what they say when seeing the statue is that there's a creepy tone to it. Yeah. And, And not the statue itself, but the fact that it's placed kind of out in the, it's out in the brush it's outside the gates of the castle or the area of the castle itself kind of also again in the middle of nowhere and so it's a weird positioning for it uh on the top of the hill there the very top so uh they both said that they got a very strange creepy vibe from the place and not to steal any thunder but really listen to it because you you again it's a first-hand account it's like yeah they said uh it's a creepy place. They've yeah. been to a lot of castles in the area. They love history, and they've checked them all out, and they said, like, no, nah, no, nah, this place is weird. So, it was,
1: Well, yeah, yeah. they get that feeling. That's that gut feeling.
0: That's the gut, exactly the personal uh, feeling, and again— the statue of her and, and she herself as a figure is, are beloved, but there's something weird about where it's placed.
1: Well, it, it, let's move on in yes. history a little bit. As we work down the timeline, we're trying to get to a certain point here before we wrap up part one. There, there's lots of stories that took place at the castle. There's a lot of weird stuff there. We told you about some of the earlier stuff. Now we're going to move into a little bit of a later time period to mention another story that is frequently associated with the castle. And that is the story of the assassination of Aranto. Aronto. Aronto, yes, which I have to tell you, this one was a real conundrum for the Astonishing Research Corps, or what we call the ARC, which for those of you who are new to the show and don't know what that is, that's a group of uh, volunteers that help us do research on the show. Well, there's and so
0: it, many, especially with a story like this, it, there, there are so many leads that are lying in so many different places. It would take Scott and I a good two weeks uh, 10 hours a day, just to piece this all together and find it. So what they do is they 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 go out and they call this stuff together. And then we still have to kind of collect it into a story. I, yeah. I'm not sure you're getting that here. But <laughs> but the idea is that uh, all these little bits, they will gather and say, like, well, here's something that connects to this. Now, it conflicts with this other thing that we heard about. So there's some judgment decisions on what we kind of include and, and how we, we place it out. But basically... We we're getting to another era here, uh, which is well-documented, called the 30 Years' War. Can you just give our listeners a brief, big-picture overview of what the 30 Years' War was? Oh, yeah. This will be 30 seconds or yeah, less. 30 seconds on the 30 <laughs> Years' War. It's
1: 30 well, on the 30.
0: it took place in Central Europe in, uh, between 1618 and 1648, and it was a big one. It's one of the, it's one of the most destructive, deadly wars ever to happen in Europe— and the world, but I mean, just imagine thirty years going, and it took roughly—they estimate about eight million. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, no, and when you think about the populations not being that big then, eight million is a lot of people. Yeah. So essentially, what what it was is it's a it's a religious war. It starts off as that uh, between various factions of Protestant and Catholic states, uh, and all of this being fragmented under the Holy Roman Empire. And, of course, what happens, like a lot of these things, it's really about power control. Right. It's politics, butting heads against religion or using one as an excuse for the other. So, yeah, what you have is a religious state power, the Holy Roman Empire, butting heads against local powers and duchies, as I said before, who all now are employing mercenary armies. And it just, it drags everybody in. And you're talking about the France-Habsburg rivalry. It's just, it's a mess. Read up on it because it's, it's pretty significant. And again, it devastated a lot of Europe. So it's a big deal. But it also touches Bohemia, of course. Mostly centered in the German states and the German area here, but of course it drags in what is today the Czech Republic and and Prague
1: and this this whole region. So of course, eventually it's gonna touch Holska. And it does. And this was part of and the the reason I was mentioning the ARK earlier was because we kept finding this this story that was mentioned on the, it's the same story, the same three or four sentences initially on, on 55 blogs, which is what we always find when we start doing research Mm -hmm. on one of our episodes. It's that there's, one blog that has information or, or one book that has been published or one paper somewhere and then 7,000 people are plagiarizing it. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, because
0: it's too much trouble and effort and you're not sure anyway to go and try and, you know, go to the library. One book that we found that had a lot of great sources uh, was not even at the LA Public Library. Right. So they didn't even have it so we had to buy it. Well, that takes a week.
1: Yeah, it should be here yeah. in a few days. <laughs> but so after after we're on uh, three other subjects. Yeah, yes. but they, and and that's happening to us all the time. But th- there was this this guy Oronto that was mentioned on all these different places about this story, this famous story of Oronto, who was assassinated at Castle Hoska. And yeah. we couldn't figure out who he was. We were digging and digging and digging. And finally, we got to a source that told his story. Oronto, or Orontovi, which was part of the reason we couldn't find him. Yeah, oh, that's true, yes. Was a Swedish mercenary leader.
0: Well, that's what happened in the Thirty Years' War, is that you see the rise of the Swedish Empire. Yes. Uh, with their military victories. And so they come to
1: Claim control of the area as they push through. Yes, but after the war was over, Oronto was trying to find a way to make a living, and it makes me think. It, <laughs> make, it kind of makes a me think, well, he's a yeah. mercenary. It makes that's me true. think about it. It honestly makes me think about after the Civil War, these roving bands like Quantrill's Raiders. It, it, that's what it brings to mind. But so Or Oronto or Orontovi. Mm-hmm took over, moved into, had a band of of criminals, essentially. I mean, they were mercenaries, but they were not nice people. No, these guys,
0: look, they they make their living by uh, brutality and violence and visiting violence upon people and civilians and everyone in their
1: way, and that's what they know, and now they have nothing to do. Right, so they go over to Castle Hoska, probably not knowing it's provenance, but who knows, uh, which is abandoned at this time, and they take it over. They move in, and they're living there, and parting it up. And what they're doing is they're going down to Melnik, where, in fact, this is where, I mean, it, it's much later, but this is where Borislav and Ludmila were from, mm-hmm. and uh, some of our other major players. And they go down to Melnik. And uh, they're raping, pillaging, killing, robbing, stealing, and then they go back up to Castle Hoska, yeah. and party and drink and and well, that's uh, where they're getting their supplies yes. and their fun exactly. Yeah. And the thing about Oronto was that he was thought by the villagers to be immortal. They thought that he could not be killed. The stories, cult of personality. The yeah. stories were that the arrow, if you shot an arrow at him, it would bend around him. That nothing could hurt him. However, yeah, The
0: man who would be king.
1: Yes, yeah. uh, exactly. However, there were a couple of hunters from the village who were convinced by the locals to go up there and take a shot at it. Literally, yeah. yes. But the rumor about Aronto was that he practiced black magic, and that was part of the reason he couldn't be killed. Uh,
0: black magic and alchemy. And alchemy. And he was doing strange experiments,
1: possibly on some of the villagers they captured. In Castle Hoska. Yeah. And this won't be the last time that kind of thing is happening there. No, no. So the two hunters go to a blacksmith who apparently was a little bit practiced in black magic. The blacksmith creates a couple of magic bullets that were forged at a specific time of night during a half moon, the whole nine yards. Oh, yeah. Based on the research that I read. Yeah. The two hunters go up to Castle Hoska from Milnik, which I believe is about 16 miles. And they're outside, and they call Oronto to the window. They yell his name. He comes to the window saying, who dares to call my name? All the great elements of a story, folks. They yeah. level a weapon at him and shoot him right between the eyes with one of the black magic balls. Really? Are you seriously that's that's what the, the story the a head,
0: headshot? Huh? Headshot oh, yeah.
1: right between the eyes. These hunters, you know? This well, house, that's true. Yes, they're, they're feeding they're good their at families. It. Yeah. I guess he fell down. He was alive for a moment. He called for his black hen. He apparently had uh, a black hen that was part of his black magic ensemble. Yeah, I guess, I guess the girl with the with the hat, the rabbit to pull out of a hat, was not around. <laughs> and uh, he called for the hen, I suppose, to try and save his life, but it couldn't. And it, I, I think yeah, that what's the chicken going to do? Really, Just peck at you? <laughs> what the, I think the black hen was the was the opposite of the the gold brood hen which was another uh, possible pagan idol yes but please do not quote me on that scholars right. please send your emails to forrest please all witches uh yeah <laughs> refrain from emailing scott yeah but uh anyway he called out for the black hen black hen couldn't save him he died his men were uh, scattered they were not yeah. uh many of them were arrested i think and brought to justice so that's, no, were, that's, that's the thing. They were despised in the village. They, yeah, everyone because, hated them. Yeah, because they were committing atrocities. This was a Henry Plummer vigilante situation, really, because you sent these two guys up there to kill the leader, and they did. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, yeah. not even that structured. Yeah, even less structured. But the deal is that uh, what's interesting is part of the legend is that he, at the time when he was at the window, was conducting his alchemy experiments to try and find... The elixir of life.
1: Oh yeah, a. that K. was supposedly what he was doing. That's right.
0: The philosopher's stone, yes. not the sorcerer's stone. The philosopher's stone. So you might think that that's maybe that's a stretch that he was actually trying to practice alchemy. However, in uh, one of the frescoes, one of the paintings or drawings, that really kind of faded. But there's, uh, we'll, we'll try and find some decent uh, shots of this in the chapel. In the chapels, in Castle Hostgut, exactly. There's a drawing or, or kind of a, a faded fresco of
1: St. Christopher,
0: and St. Christopher is also the patron saint of alchemy.
1: So now rounding out our timeline before we wrap up part one of our show here on Castle Hoska, we have to talk about Karl Heineck Maka, who was a poet uh, not widely recognized until after his death No,
0: no one else knowed it at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah He's knowed a, it. I Please know. don't. I'm trying to make the, the, it's, the joke work. It's no, the ten, idea it's was... It's
1: 10 till 1 in the morning. <laughs> so Sorry. Forrest is... Yeah, yeah. we're all
0: punchy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just two of us. Uh, no, the idea... He wasn't taken... Um, Uh, That seriously, while he was alive, it was after his death that people—at the time, his poetry was kind of considered kind of complex, and there was a little bit of mocking going on, but after he passed away, he was considered a national treasure. You know who else,
1: uh, by the way, who was uh, buried at the cemetery at the castle in Prague, the big one I was talking about earlier, is Alphonse Mucha. Muka is different from Maka. Muka is an artist who, if you don't know his name, I guarantee you're familiar with his work. Look it up. M U C H A. I I digress. Again, it's late. (laughs) So let's let's talk about Maka. The interesting thing about Maka was that he went in 1836 and spent the night. During a walking tour of the region. Now, before I read this, I want to tell you guys about this company in Prague called McGee's Ghost Tours. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are so awesome. I actually contacted them. They had been featured on the Ghost Hunters International series, and I reached out to them on Skype. I called and spoke to Hannah McGee personally, on the phone a few days ago and asked her a few questions to help uh, iron some things out. And then we've ex- since exchanged emails. And oh, she's a yeah, yeah, super cool. awesome person, very friendly. And uh, their company is one of the prominent tour companies in Prague. And I, I can tell you right now that just based on her, I would highly recommend checking them out. If you're in Prague or you're going to Prague and you want to do some tours, check out com. We'll have a link to their website. It's M C G E E S ghosttours.com if you're going there and you want to find some fun stuff to do. Now, one of the things that they have on their website, they have actually a really good summary of Hoska Castle on the website and a lot of the things that happened there, and they have a nice little section on Maka and his experience at the castle in 1836, and I'm going to read this directly from their website. A couple of hundred years later, in 1836, during a walking tour of the region, Czech poet Karl Heinrich Maka, spent a night at Hoska, and supposedly, in his dreams, he was visited by a terrible vision, which he later recounted in a letter to his friend, Edward Hindle. Maka described his soul descending into the pit, and you know which pit that is, right? Maka (laughs) described his soul descending into the pit and then being transported into a hellish, mechanized future. Prague, 2006, where he wandered in horror and despair. Among other unnerving experiences in the vision, Maka wrote that he met a girl who showed him moving pictures in a small casket and that in darkness he walked among high sandstone cliffs riddled with holes that projected an eerie yellow light. Uncannily similar to the modern Sidlisti, the enormous blocks of flats or apartments which in the present day loom above the outskirts of Prague. And remember, Maka was recounting all of this in 1836, So how did these visions of the future emerge from his subconscious? Was it really only a dream? Or is it possible that he was actually transported ahead in time? There are those who believe so. So again, that's from McGee's Ghost Tours. Uh, special thanks to Hannah for connecting us with uh, answering our questions and helping us out. We are hoping that we can go take some of those tours ourselves. I just want to say the Ark. Uh, the I think it was Quay dug up a picture of the Sidlisti, which is these huge yeah. apartments, and. Yeah. It couldn't look more exactly like what he's describing. Are they, because they're white, right? Yeah, or, well, they're, limestone they're multicolored looking. and they have the yellow light coming through the windows. It's very specific. It's a very specific vision that he's describing. And the same thing with watching the videos on a small casket, it's like watching something on an iPhone. It's like watching TV in yeah. a small box, maybe, or yeah.
0: as he said, a casket, something along those lines. Or he just got a hold of the Nazi bell and transported for a few moments into the future. But what it sounds like to me when he said a hellish mechanized future, yeah. a little bit like H.G. Wells' time machine, yeah, where you're transported, well, that was underground. There's a lot of things going underground. It's like the Eloy and the, uh, the Morlocks where the narrator gets, uh, he goes into the future in like 3,000 years, and it's this hellish mechanized underground place. There's a lot of tie-ins. Well, H.G. Wells didn't write that. That wasn't published until 1895, the Time machine. So very prophetic dream, which rings true. So uh, it also reminds me a lot of Alistair Crowley spending the night in the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, and having, that's when he saw lamb and, the you know, the the, the the gray alien kind of being who came and spoke to him for a while. So not getting into that right here, but uh, we've had a lot of people write in and say, like, you, we should cover that, you know, Crowley and that story. But these are all the same kind of tropes and mythical setups for a lot of people. They go to a mystical place. They have a prophetic dream. They see visions. Things are told to them. So we're seeing that here, too. You said that letter was in 1836, which was early into the 19th century. Well, he died in November on the 5th in 1836. So right after he sent that letter, he passed away. And he had a very short, tragic life. He was only 25. He uh, apparently was helping to put out a fire a few days before the 5th. He overexerted himself, came down with pneumonia, and died on November 5th remember remember the The 5th of of November November. and he was supposed to get married to his love the next day so he had a short tragic life and one brilliant vision of the future so now from the 1930s to the 1940s well you know what happens here we have a whole new set of players and so does hoska the nazis That's going to wrap up part one of our series on Castle Hoska, Gateway to Hell. We'll be back by the end of next weekend with part two, where we'll
1: go even deeper into the pit. Special thanks again to The Ark. Please remember to support our sponsors, get books in our bookstore, buy our ringtone, join our Facebook group, and visit our Patreon page. Special thanks to John Bolin. Hi,
0: I'm Cat Wells.
1: Hi, I'm Zach Bennett.
0: Hi, my name's Anastasia Bennett.
1: B-E-N-N-E-T-T And I give permission to Astonishing, astonishing Legends to use my iz- voice however they, they see fit, galaxy-wide, in perpetuity. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees-Wendel, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The ARC and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our
0: listeners. You can find us online at AstonishingLegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night.